Hello, everybody, and welcome to another one in our long-running series of financial well-being podcasts. My name's David Lloyd, and I'm here with my two good buddies and financial genii, Chris Budd and Tom Morris. Chris, who are you? Who are you? I'm Chris Budd. I'm writer of the Financial Wellbeing book, and I'm writer of other stuff as well. So I've got a novel out at the moment, The Vanishing Point, which I've had some great reviews on, I'm delighted to say. I don't know about you, David, but you get this thing when you've written a novel that if people know you, they automatically assume it must be rubbish. <laughs> I don't know if you get that a lot. The most common comment I get about my novels is, do you know, it was actually really good. Yes, I, I do recognise that one, actually. Just a year since my novel was out, actually, and, and I keep thinking I ought to write another one because people keep saying, are you going to write another one? And I'm thinking, well, I really ought to do that. But when I compare the amount of money I've made for my novel which takes like a year to write, to the amount of money that I can make over six weeks writing an episode of Doctors for the TV. Well, uh, uh, TV tends to take priority, but I must get around to doing the next one. But yeah, Chris, as I've said before, I must get around to reading The Vanishing Point. I haven't done it yet, but it's on my list of things to do. Anyway, Chris, much as I'd like it to be just about you and me talking about our books, somebody else is on this podcast. Tom Morris, who the hell are you? Someone who's trying to stop this becoming a book club. So um, it's like Richard and Judy's, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Tom Morris, uh, several hats. First one is for the general public who listen, director and chartered financial planner at a company called Ovation Finance in Bristol. We're always open to a chat, so feel free to get in touch if you want to talk things finance with me. But also a director over at the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, which if you are a financial planner, or advisor or coach, and we're going to get into those different titles today. Go and have a look at our website. Check us out because we are trying to spread the word of financial well-being within the profession. Good for you. And just to declare an interest here, I am indeed a client of Ovation Finance, and Tom is indeed my financial advisor, as indeed Chris was back in the day. And uh, obviously, I wouldn't be here promoting this wonderful company if I didn't think they were great. So uh, obviously, this is an impartial podcast, but actually, it isn't really. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, thank you very much, both of you. Chris, what are we talking about today? Well, David, this podcast is coming out in Financial Planning Week, and we're going to look at the very important question that we do get asked a lot, which is what questions should someone ask a financial advisor in order to make sure they get the right advisor for them? Wow. Okay, that's very good. These it's going to be a little bit, little bit controversial at times. It's going to be an interesting chat. Okay. Well, hopefully, these were the questions I asked you 15 years ago when we first got together. But uh, let's find out a little bit later on. But before we do that, we're introducing a brand new feature. Tomo, tell us what it is. Well, in keeping with today's topic, we are going to look at some of the many, many tips that are out there from, well, I guess some professionals, but but often not, maybe just some rich folk. But it's often around investing. And we are going to ask whether they fail the no-shizzle Sherlock test. I've refrained from using the, the actual phrase because, you know, there might be children listening. So the no-shizzle Sherlock test. Sorry, could you just imagine a small child listening? <laughs> well, it might stand them in good stead. Mummy, mummy, mummy. No, I can't watch cartoons. I've got to listen to the financial well-being podcast. <laughs> now, Tomo, tell us a little bit more, if you would. See, when it comes to investment tips, there are some useful ones out there. But to be honest with you, investing 
there are some key principles and beyond that it's it's you know a bit bit of noise to be honest with you um, but the basics of investing are really simple always think long term diversify into a range of different types of investments and don't peek at them too often it, it, it that's kind of it really you know, it, you know I, I say simple it's not necessarily easy and and sometimes people need help but you know that's a pretty decent start yeah just on the don't peek at them too often uh, Avation over the last year or so have introduced a, a fantastic app, uh, the Avation app. And one of the things that you could do, and I speak as a client, is you log in there and you just go, what am I worth? And it gives an absolute real-time, up-to-date score of how much money you've got in your pension. <laughs> I went to have a meeting with a solicitor, very kindly recommended by Tomo, uh, to talk about wills the other week. And about a, a week before I went in, I was doing some prep on that. And I, I looked at the amount in my pension and I thought, oh, yeah, that's quite good. Quite pleased with that. And then uh, I went in to see him and have the meeting. And he said, well, can, tell me, what, what, what are you worth? And I said, well, I could, he's roughly what are you worth? I said, I can tell you exactly what I'm worth. So I got the app, I opened it up. And it was like five grand down from the week before. And I said, oh, I'm not very happy about that. But, of course, as you rightly say, things go up and things go down. So, yes, I just back up that uh, proposition really is don't look at it too often otherwise you get a little bit fed up with the fact that it isn't always going up but it always goes up in the end long term long term really important yeah really important so, so what about people who want to make a quick return on their money who invest in things like bitcoin <laughs> frankly i don't really see that as investing speculating perhaps uh, investing is pretty boring it it should be a bit of a slow burn. Um, it's like it's like gardening. I'm told I'm not a gardener, but it's like gardening. You plant something, you water it, then you wait. You check in on it occasionally, but ultimately, after a certain amount of time has been spent on it and a bit of nurturing is is gone on, you find that you've got something that's grown far beyond that seed that you planted in the ground. So it, it requires patience, and it often is boring rather than exciting but that's not a bad thing yeah uh, no i think that's i think that's quite clear so have you got any investment tips for us then tomo clear investment tips that aren't based on gambling so let's have a look at our first investment tip from an investment guru monish paprai i i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly is a indian american investor and he says and it does make sense minimize downside risk by maximizing the upside is a powerful concept Okay, so you minimise risk, maximise return. Well, that, that sounds very sensible. I want to make money on my investment, but I don't want it to be at risk. So isn't that kind of obvious? Yeah, totally obvious. Um, in fact, it's so obvious, but it is very hard to do. And that's why this no-shizzle Sherlock section, we, that's why we've come up with it, because Monish Prabhu is a very, very wealthy man, and it's a very easy thing to say and makes you sound awfully wise. But actually... It's really so easy that it's obvious and not really very helpful investment tip at all. Yeah, quite. It's um, It gets us on to another great adage that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. You know, if you were seeing an investment product advertising itself as giving high returns for low risk, you know, it, approach it with extreme caution. So low risk, high returns, a great idea, at least in theory. No, chisel. Sherlock. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Look. Well, 
that's got that feature kicked off then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see gonna... if it has any legs. Yeah, this yeah, is going to run and run. Yeah, we might find that the, the listeners absolutely detest it. But hey, you've got to test it. Yeah, let us know, talking of it. You know, tweet us, <laughs> write to us, email us, send us a carrier pigeon. What do you think about No Shows or Sherlock as a feature? And if you do like it, come up with another suggestion for something we could put in that. But now we're coming on to another one of our very popular, in fact, the most popular uh, thing that we do, I think, Titus Tomo, where Tom Morris gives us one of his fantastic tips as to how we can save money but uh, before we come on to the genius himself chris you got anything for us this time yeah i've got a suggestion and i think it's one that all of us here can really relate to sell your hair there's a company called bambury postiche i think you pronounce it who claims to be the oldest wig maker in the world who will pay between three to four pounds for 25 grams of hair the longer and better condition, the higher the price. I'm not quite sure we're going to maximise on our own harvest. Uh, Colour doesn't matter. Luckily, David, grey hair is very popular, so you and me will be all right. Um, they use their hair to make wigs, for example, for people with long-term hair loss or alopecia. So if you don't need the money, you can even donate your hair. But if you want to make a few quid, sell your hair. Excellent. Well, I'm going to the barbers tomorrow to get my hair cut, so I'll make sure I pick up all the sweepings and then stick them in the post. <laughs> Get some money back. <laughs> They'll be all multicoloured. Excellent. Well, I've got nothing beyond that one, actually. You know, that is a good one. I'll I'll sell somebody else's hair by collecting it at the barbers. Tomo, we wait with bated breath. Well, this one, and none of you knows I'm going to mention it, was actually provided to me by Chris. And he put me on to something called Twickets.live. And this is a, from what I can see, and and Chris will hopefully confirm that I'm right with this. It's a place where you can sell back tickets that you could for, for events, for sporting events, for concerts, you know, that you can't go to anymore. So you can hand it back to this website at face value, and they're able to then sell it on to people who want to go to said show, to said sport event. Yes, they charge a, a, a fee for doing it, but that what they're trying to not do is profiteer, is go ahead when they release dates and buy all the tickets and then sell it at quadruple the face value. They're just trying to be a, a useful exchange between people who can no longer go to something and people who want to go to something. Is that a fair description, Chris? Yeah, excellent. Uh, I would just add one little thing. Please do use Twicket. Please don't use Viagogo. Viagogo is a company that does looks like it does a similar thing, but actually they're just like a corporate ticket tent. Viagogo should be avoided at all costs. But Twickets are a great place where you just get to sell your tickets at face value or less uh, and pick up tickets at last minute for things you didn't know you could go to. Yeah, no, that's great. And of course, StubHub is another one that uh, I would uh, strongly recommend that people avoid like the plague as well. Because it seems to me that some of these sites, uh, naming no specific names, are just there as ticket touts. I will, I will absolutely name names, David. And funny yeah. enough, the guy that set up Viagogo also set up StubHub. Oh, well, um, there you so, go then. Yeah. Avoid Viagogo like the Blake. But Twicket is fabulous. Excellent. Good. Good advice there, Tomo. Now, Chris, before we get on to today's subject, I gather there's something you wanted to tell us about. Yeah, look, this is um, just a fun little thing that I saw on holiday recently in Croatia. Um, well, you, you, you've been abroad this year. I know. I know. How did you manage that? with a lot of paperwork i was actually on <laughs> sky news discussing that very topic but let's not let's not uh, i am an international celebrity uh, so we were in a, a, a small town which i can't pronounce properly but trugger i think it might be pronounced quite near split and i saw a stone relief of a greek character called 
Keros. And I did a bit of research. Actually, I was in a shop and I asked someone. So that counts as a bit of research. And it appears that Keros comes a lot in throughout history. Uh, it's a word that means a moment in time or an opportunity. And in Trogir, uh, it's particularly been adopted as a bit of a symbol. And Trogir, some websites call it the town of the happy moment. So this character from Greek mythology embodies the idea of making the most of a moment, of enjoying a moment in time. He has winged feet because he goes by so fast. He has a tuft of hair at the front so you can easily grab him as he goes past you. But he's bold at the back because after he's gone, it's too late. You can't catch him. And I thought, what a lovely, lovely symbol that is. He's a symbol of Trogir. I bought a water bottle from that particular shop with a wing symbolising Keros, which is a nice way of reminding myself to always make sure I make the most of moments as they fly past. Oh, that's nice, actually. I thought a nice little story. And Chris, also, I have to uh, just comment as well. Your West Country accent, which isn't normally very prevalent, actually, <laughs> just sneaked in there with the way in which you pronounce the word bald. Because you're bald. <laughs> bald. Bold. And it's very interesting. If you see, if you go on, uh, we've had discussions about football before, uh, and I'm Bristol City fan, you're a Bristol Rovers fan, but we won't go into the comparative uh, misery of Bristol Rovers are in and the high peaks that Bristol City are at. We're not going to talk about that. Thank but you. I quite often go to the fans forum, Bristol City fans forum, and whenever anybody writes the word bald, they spell it B-O-L-D, bald, because that's how it's pronounced in the West Country. And similarly... <laughs> Similarly, if they're saying that player's not for sale, they'll 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 um, spell it S E double L because they want that player is not for sale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never noticed that. The one word I always struggle with being from Bristol and the West Country is, and David, you say this for me, please, because I cannot actually say this word properly. G I R L. Girl. Girl. Mm. Girl. Yeah. Girl. girl. I can't say girl. How is it? Why is it not girl? Let's go. Girl. Let's go. Girl. Girl. Yeah. Right, right, Listen, David. Hurry yeah. up. Come All right. On, I'm sorry. I'm do. cracking on. I'm, I'm not having a pop at the West Country accent, which I think is brilliant, but I just I just wanted to make that little point. But it's a really lovely story, that, Chris. Thank you very much. And let's move swiftly on to the subject for today. So for, this podcast is coming out in Financial Planning Week, so thought it might be useful if we help people to find financial advice that is right for them. Or does this mean that there are different types of financial advice? There is, David. Rather like if you went to find a solicitor or an accountant, you know, you will want one that's right for you, both in terms of their knowledge, but also in the terms of how they work. And it's no different with, with the field of financial advice. There are lots of different terms that financial advisors use, including wealth manager, financial advisor, financial planner, financial coaches, you know, all of these names can mean the same thing, but they often have differences. I guess the important thing to distinguish is that people work out what it is they want and then match that with the right type of financial advice or service. Great. So what is it that people might need? I guess the first thing is, is uh, financial products such as life assurance or pensions. Indeed. And, and if that's all they need, then most financial advisors should be able to help with that. Uh, and would that include investment management? Yeah, it would, as long as the advisor is regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA. So if we're looking for a list of questions that people should ask, then that's going to be the first one. If they want any form of financial product or advice on a financial product, they need to make sure the person they get advice from is authorised and regulated by the FCA. 
Yeah. Now, I suspect that people listening to this podcast, however, want more than just advice on financial products. That clear path to identifiable objectives, which is uh, one of the key planks of financial well-being, would, I imagine, be something our listeners would be interested in? Um, I'd hope so, as we're, what, 70-odd episodes in. But this is where financial planning comes in. As opposed to someone who is a financial advisor alone, who tends to focus on financial products and tax planning, then there are wealth managers who tend to focus on the investment management piece. Um, financial planners are able to, often to do those things, are certainly able to advise on the product side, the tax planning, the investment management element. But they're also keen on creating that path in the first place that then informs what products should be used by, by somebody they're working with. Great. So what questions should our listeners be asking in order to find out whether they will get that kind of financial planning? I think the key phrase is that they should ask for a cash flow forecast. At its simplest, this is a spreadsheet which forecasts finances into the future, although in practice, a financial planner will use their technical knowledge around things like investment growth rates, inflation, tax rates, and so forth, to create a much more accurate picture of what the future might look like, which is for those that remember our five pillars of financial well-being, it's the clear path to identifiable objectives. That's the clear path we talk about. So do you do a cash flow forecast is a key, key question. Great. So someone wanting uh, financial planning, uh, wanting to work out whether their future is affordable, should ask for a cash flow forecast. But what about someone who's not entirely sure about their future? Does this work for them too? Mm, that's a good question. A really good question, because um, it can be hard for people to know what they want. And this is where someone might ask for an advisor or a planner whether they have any training in coaching skills. What, like football coaching, cricket coaching, rugby coaching? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure we've covered this before. What do coaching skills look like in terms of financial planning? Well, the idea is that you get somebody who's, who's able to coach in the sport that you love. So we would want a football coach who's a financial... No, no, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Um, no, this is the one area that advisors are not automatically required to train on, is coaching skills. It's listening and questioning skills in order to help the client to understand themselves better and know thyself that we talk about in the Financial Wellbeing book and through these podcasts, and to work out what they'd like their future to be, rather than simply forecasting the future they are currently heading towards. Well, hang on, that seems bonkers. Are you saying that financial advisors are not required to have any type of communication skills? No, not at all. It's one of the major failings, I think, of the authorization regulation regime. The exams that we have to take are all technical, but everybody should be trained in how to listen if they're going to give advice. Listening is, as we, I think, demonstrate on this podcast often, not actually very easy. Um, You could apply this just as easily to doctors, accountants and solicitors, But for advisors who are helping clients to plot and navigate paths to their future, this, for me, at least, seems really, really important. So I guess the final rung in the ladder is whether advisors know the type of things that we've been talking about for years, that relationship between their money and their happiness. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just touch on that coaching element. It will become very clear if, if you're speaking to somebody, if they are interested in you and not their money, and not your money, should I say, that's somebody who's interested in the coaching element and knowing what direction you want to head in. And then they add the planning, then they add the advice. So that's a good good clue is if they're interested in you and not your money initially. 
But you mentioned about that relationship between money and their happiness. And to be fair, there aren't many advisors who will know this. You know, at, at Ovation, we've obviously been talking about it for for a, a good deal of time now. And we are trained in coaching skills and we try and bring those listening and, and questioning skills to the conversations we have with our clients. We use cash flow um, and we also produce this podcast. And it, it sounds like a, a big infomercial for Ovation Finance. Um, I get it. There are other firms who are doing this. And you know, it, it, I think Chris is probably best that you touch on this because you're so heavily involved in an organization that is speaking to advisors and planners who are doing this. Yeah, just, just to give you a, a feel for it, um, there are 28,000 financial advisors in the UK, something like that. The Initiative for Financial Wellbeing, the IFW, that we set up to bring advisors together who want to learn about money and happiness, there's currently 300 or so members. So there aren't that many that really get deeply into that um, money and happiness. At the IFW, we do have a, a qualifications called the Financial Wellbeing Certificate, and we also have an audit for firms as well. So these are all questions you could be asking. Basically, say to somebody, are you members of the IFW? Do you even know about the IFW? And if they go, what's that? Then that's a bit of a clue. You know, another one that Tommy just touched on, there's a really good tip. How quickly do they ask you how much money you have to invest? If you phone somebody up and say, I'd like a financial plan, please. Could you help me work out my future? If the next question is certainly how much have you got to invest, then their focus is going to be on the money, not upon you. Um, so that's a good little, a good little uh, uh, shortcut tip, you might say. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and I another area, and it's a growing area, that we talked about people being regulated advisors. There is a growing community called financial coaches who are not regulated because they, they're not at the point where they give advice on specific products. But what they're able to do is, is often talk to you about your relationship with money. And I think we, 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 we've done this before only a couple of episodes ago with, with Catherine Morgan and discussed what a financial coach does. So again, there is... If you're looking to really understand your relationship with money, that is potentially a route to go down. So yeah, there's there's various various different types and titles to get your head around. But I like Chris's summary and the one that I made. If they're interested in you and not your money, that's a good start. Um, so look, to kind of round this up, it rather depends on what you're after. It's some people are happy just getting investment management, and so a wealth manager. Maybe even a stockbroker will be fine. An investment manager, somebody who specifically that's all they do, that could be fine. Others might want, in addition to this, some advice on pensions and tax. And in which case, a financial advisor would be really helpful because you know, I'm a financial advisor as well as a planner. That's what we're trained to do. We've got that technical know-how. And then there is helping clients navigate their futures. In which case, a financial planner who uses cash flow is useful. But you can see there's this layering being added. Preferentially, you'd want one who's trained in coaching skills and is able to make sure that path that you're navigating is right for you. What I think is key here is understanding that you could find someone who does the coaching, the planning, and helping with these technical tax and pension-related elements and the investment piece under one roof. And I think that I want to stress this. There are people out there who are giving an awful lot, a well-rounded service rather than just silos. So just bear that in mind when you're thinking about who you're engaging with. 
Excellent. So, so I'm bearing all those things in mind. I'm looking around on the internet to try and find the right person. I go on somebody's website and it says, uh, we do financial well-being. Well, how can I check that that really is the case? Well, a good start would be to ask them what they understand by financial well-being. Um, if the answer is that it's to help you manage your money, then they probably haven't really understood the concept because it's about much more than that. If they know all about the initiative for financial well-being, maybe they've passed our audit or undertaken the certificate, then you know you'll be in safe hands. What you do want to watch out for is somebody whereby the marketing department has talked about financial well-being, but when you talk about an advisor, they don't really understand it. That means there's been a bit of a whitewash going on. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good advice. And given that financial well-being, and we've talked on we've touched on this in previous podcasts, is something that is talked about a lot, but not necessarily understood a lot in the same way as you've done in the, in the way in which you created the Institute. So just to round this up, the questions that I, I think we would suggest you ask a financial advisor, if you want them to be focused on your well-being, would be, do they do cash flow forecasting? Have they had any training in coaching skills, listening and questioning? And what do they really know about financial well-being? Have I got that right? You are the uber rounder upper <laughs> i've learned i've i've learned from you two something over the years i started off as being a complete knowing nothing about money and now i know a little bit so thanks very much to you two <laughs> anyway i hope that you people at home have learned something and enjoyed the inconsequential chit chat that we've had we as ever have hugely enjoyed it and i hope you'll join us again next time for another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts if you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk you can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>